0: South Africa, it's time for The Long and Short of It, with Simon Hill, Dylan Rogers, and Dale Hayes.
1: It's Ryder Cup week. Finally, we've waited a long time for this, and as golf fans, we are salivating at the prospect of what awaits at Whistling Straits. Here to chat about it is one of the most respected voices in the game, Jaime Diaz. Jaime, welcome to the podcast, firstly, and yeah, where does Ryder Cup week rank for you amongst golf's biggest events?
2: Thanks. It's nice to be with you. Uh, it's, a, it's a unique week because it really doesn't settle anything in my mind other than, you know, tremendous competition for a week be- between some of the world's greatest players. I don't think it decides whether America or Europe has the best players. Or It, it used to be, I think, for a moment, um, kind of a a referendum on who were the best uh, because the Europeans used to have so many number ones back with, with Seve and, and Faldo and uh, Ian Woosnam and Sandy Lyle. and. And longer, and all those guys. Uh, there was a there was a, a moment where it looked like maybe the best golf is in Europe. But I think now it's pretty clear, the PGA Tour has become sort of dominant. At the same time, all those those old emotions and those old loyalties from players for their countries, especially in Europe, it means so much to beat America. And when they did start beating America in '85, especially from then on, uh, it's become more important to the Americans as well. So there's a tremendous amount of pride. Involved, and I think because it's a team event, and you're letting down or lifting up mm. your teammates, uh, respectively, if you're doing that, there's a tremendous amount of obligation and pressure. And I, so I'll, all I'll say is, the Ryder Cups I've been to, I've never felt quite as much palpable pressure in the air as I have at Ryder Cups, in particular at uh, with at uh, excuse me, uh, Keio Island in '91, uh, and coming down the stretch at Brook at Brookline in '99. I know the Americans won those. Certainly Medina, when the Europeans came back, he felt the pressure of the U.S. letting it slip away. And I think that's more pressure than the players feel any other time.
0: Jaime, let's get straight to the central issue then. is uh, How do the Americans go in with the strongest team seemingly over the last 20, 30 years and, and just have not been able to replicate the, their world ranking form or their major championship form into a team culture that ultimately ensures that they emerge victorious at the end of a Ryder Cup week?
2: You know, it is the million dollar question that everyone asks, what is the problem with the chemistry of the U S et cetera. I, you know, I still think it's a bit of a small sample because most of the matches have been quite close. Um, and the U S won so many early on, uh, you know, I I don't know exact number, but I'm going to guess the Europeans only won three times. I believe in that first 40 years of the, uh, of the, of the Ryder cup approximately, I don't have exactly right now, but the point being, uh, Lately, the, the Europeans have been winning, uh, not not at a dominant clip, but at a clip that they're they're certainly uh, looking like they're better at team play than the US. And so why? Um, I do feel like the Europeans love it more. They love the the opportunity. They love the the style of play because they do play it growing up a little bit more. I think that the the balance of pressure is always against the United States. Uh, Yes, the Europeans perhaps now might start looking like the favorites in some people's mind, not this year, but because of the track record recently. But in my mind, they're never quite the favorites. And so as a result, they have the underdog advantage of not saying they have nothing to lose, but less to lose. And when the Americans lose, they get a tremendous amount of criticism. They know it's coming if they do lose. And I think they feel trapped a little bit by that in terms of being able to enjoy the the event as much as the Europeans do. You know, that's all very intangible kind of reasons. Mm. I, I I do think in talking uh, and listening to the interviews even this year, the Europeans, when, when Sergio and, and Ian Poulter were picked, they made a point of saying, i made my best friends in life at the Ryder Cup. The team room is the place where we bond like no place else. And then you have comments like Brooks Kepka would say, you know, yeah, I, I want to win, but it's a little out of my comfort zone. As far as um, the routine, it's different for every week. It's not a bad week, but you know, it doesn't feel like I have control. So this ambivalence, and I just think the, the Americans have so much, you know, kind of um, comfort in their, in their tour. It's very hard to be a professional golfer, but they're used to controlling as much as possible uh, the conditions under which they play and how they prepare. And, when they're taken out of their routine, they they feel like not just that they're uncomfortable, but that it's somewhat of an offense to their to their professionalism. It's like let me do this on my own, and they resent a little bit. I think the control that comes with the Ryder Cup, not just the you know from the captain, but also the team dinners and the enforced practices and all these things. And it's not an issue with the Europeans because the greater good is served by them winning and enhancing their position in the world and their tour's position in the world. And it it goes on endlessly, but I I just think there's a a vibe that the the Europeans love it and the Americans have an obligation and they love to win, but they really, really feel afraid to lose. And I think that's why when it comes down to it, the Europeans play with a little more freedom.
1: On the back of that then, your stance on on Paul Azinger's comments regarding Kepka?
2: Yeah, I think those are the old school comments of, of captains past and Paul's a fairly recent captain, but I think the view is, hey, first of all, the captain is the captain. He should have autonomous, you know, authority and players questioning the captain a lot is just not traditionally what was done in the Ryder Cup. It started to become that way, uh, as I think as the American players in particular became more powerful and we saw the, uh, I guess, the epitome of that at, uh, excuse me, at the uh, in 2014, with Phil Mickelson criticizing Tom Watson at Glen Eagles. And that was like, whoa, that was a shock to watch that, because, mm. uh, you know, Tom Watson's obviously almost you know, iconic in the game, and mm. and Phil was a player and Tom was the coach, and it was in the losing, uh, losing press conference, which is very sensitive, and yet this all came out. And it was like, holy cow, uh, you just don't do that to the captain. And yet in America, it's kind of happened. Um, and so, not to say that Brooks was talking against Steve Stricker but he had to know that you know this was going to land on the eve of the Ryder Cup and how would it be taken uh to hear you know comments that made it sound like you know the Ryder Cup's really not his favorite event when everybody should be gearing up for a supreme effort and so I think that's what offended Paul and and Paul's very much about chemistry and you know that whole the pod system was all about putting like-minded people together who really enjoyed the, the the you know to make to make the Ryder cup as much fun as possible and to make it something that the players were as he said sold out to do you know they bought in totally yeah. so when he sees a player that's not bought in completely i think he just feels like well maybe you shouldn't be here and it's a it's almost like the old saying on tour it's like you know you you complain about stuff and some old pro will say well just play better and the same thing with the rider cup if you don't really like it don't come you know there's there's 300 guys on tour who would love nothing more than to play on the rider cup uh, and so I think that was his emotional reaction. It came off maybe perhaps a little harsh, but I think it's the visceral response of a, a person like Paul Azinger who probably felt like his greatest accomplishment, even with his majors, was his performance in the Ryder Cup.
0: You know, uh, when, I, when I was still playing on the tour, it was obviously just Britain against America. And uh, the Ryder Cup years for, for non-British players were the best years to play on the European tour. Because the, the British players were were so intent on trying to make the Ryder Cup team that mm. half the time getting towards the end of a the tournament they just folded like envelopes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you know it was it was a great time it was a great time to play. But I think what what it meant to the British players from the time they were little uh, before they even turned professional to play in the Ryder Cup was was almost and very close to winning a major championship. Game. Not that in those days they were winning many, many majors. But it was such a big thing for the British players. And I think that with Seve, that trans- translated into, into the same thing for the European players when, when Seve got involved. Because he just made it such an important thing for the European players. And I agree 100% with what you're saying, Jaime, is that you know the pressure on the Americans, because they, they are perceived to be the best golfers in the world, The pressure is much more intense on the American players. And number two, your other comment about the style of play, I think is also a huge contributor to to the success that Europe has had. That the style of play being foursomes, which Americans very rarely play, and better ball, which also is not a big thing in in America, but is a big thing in Britain. So I I agree 100% with what you're saying. But what interests me is, is is the captains this year. Steve mm-hmm. Tricker, who's kind of a quiet guy who goes about his business very quietly, and Padraig Harrington, who's kind of, you know, in a way similar, but I think quite a bit more aggressive quietly than
2: Steve Tricker. It's quite quickly. What, what, what effect is that going to have on, the, on the, the final result? Wow. You know, Harrington is a fascinating guy. He's so intelligent and a little bit wacky uh, with his uh, theories and things, but he always he always sort of ties everything together because he's, he thought deeply about the game on a mental, the idea that uh, so much of it is mental. I mean, he's worked with Bob Rutello forever. Not that Bob has been the only guy that shaped Podrick, He's just interested in, in examining, you know, the mental dynamics of what it takes to play championship golf, because in his mind he was never that talented a player and he got better physically, but what, what he really did was pull through with grit. And I think he feels like that's really the separator. And so as a result, I think he's more about, talking to his team about those kinds of things. Steve Stricker is a quietly competitive, tough guy, even though he comes across as very, not I will not say meek, but just mildly, you know, mild manner. Uh, you may know his record that, you know, he kind of lost his game in the early 2000s and became comeback player of the year. And then he had come from so far down that even after winning comeback of player of the year once, he won it the very next year. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that shows, yeah. you know, unprecedented kind of... Uh, ability to bounce back um, and the, he's very respected by the players uh, because he has been somebody who's been there and has won a lot and understands you know I think the highest level of the game I think the fact that he's been close friends with Tiger as much as Tiger lets other players get close to him uh, speaks a lot to him speaks a lot for him also I think he's also an empathetic guy so I think the players going to feel very comfortable with him so Having said all this, um, how is their style of captainship going to differ and make a difference in play? You know, Simon, I've I've never felt like the captain is the difference maker. I've started to perhaps alter my view a little bit when I see someone like Paul McGinley be so astute about things and and pull a a team that didn't have as much talent through so successfully. Uh, But I still think, you know, I remember Tom Lehman, kind of similar to Steve Stricker, did everything right. All the players said, this is going to be so great. We love Tom. And they got waxed in, in Ireland in 2006. So I I think honestly, it still comes down to talent most often. And I think Steve got the most talent and I think he's going to try to stay out of the way at the same time. I think he's going to get, he's got bigger problems, I think, as far as the chemistry. So I think he's going to find some kind of resolution to the Brooks and Bryson thing and get them to, do the best, not only for the team but for themselves. Because if they come out of this looking like they bickered at the Ryder Cup and lost, that's going to stick. That's going to hurt their reputations going forward, forever too. So I think wiser heads are going to prevail, and Steve Stricker is going to let the boat kind of, you know, follow its own path because they are better on paper, and and let that hopefully, especially at home in Whistling Straits, let the length of the golf course and the things that probably favor the Americans take their take their course. And I think Harrington will be the risk taker. And we'll throw out a lot of, you know, risky uh, or, or, you know, perhaps seem like unorthodox kind of pairings, and and see where it takes him. I, I think he's going to roll the dice a little bit more. I'm not exactly sure what that all means because I don't know how they're all playing. Honestly, Europe is not playing very well coming yeah. into this. Yeah. Uh, not just with low world rankings, but just who's who's played well. I mean, obviously, Rom, but Rory hasn't had a great year, and Hoblin's you know, they're probably their third best player. And after that, it seems like everybody's been in a bit of a holding pattern going forward. So I'm going to just say I think Steve Stricker will try not to be an obstreperous or a very obvious captain. He's going to stay in the background and let the talent of his players hopefully take over. And I think Harrington will be more out front and trying to inspire and doing things that perhaps shake things up.
0: I mean, How do you think Stricker will handle the, the, the brooks kepka issue of the past few days?
2: you know, this is just me. I would love to see them. They talk about pods, for example. I, I think they're kind of using the pod system that Azinger originated, perhaps not strictly, but but close to it. I'd like to see them put in the same pod and be forced to just deal with each other. Because I don't think they really hate each other. I just think it's become something that publicly has been embarrassing for Brooke, uh, for Bryson, and something that's been kind of uh, uh publicly enhancing for brooks and he's taking advantage of it and i think cuz he's he's he just does social media better than brooks does excuse me bryson does i'm getting there
1: <laughs> yeah thing. well are they interchangeable aren't
2: like they <laughs> yeah well they're very different obviously <laughs> but i do think uh that bryson would like to put it to bed and i think brooks he's not in the same power position he used to be when he was winning majors at such a you know four out of eight, four out of nine, rather, you know, that was an amazing. And, and at that time, I think he felt emboldened to just say whatever he thought because, you know, I am the man. He's not quite the man anymore uh, since injury. And he, I just think that he's treading on thin ice when he starts overplaying this, I'm the macho athlete who can handle pressure better than everybody else. And I, I think if he just, um, I think Stricker would like to see them all now, whether they put him in the same pot or not, I think he's just going to say, Look, for one week, just be a team guy, and you know we're all going to be much happier, and we're all going to respect you personally more, and this is the right grown up thing to do and I think Stricker has enough credibility as a person that they'll listen
1: interested to get your thoughts, Jaime, and this is pure speculation, and we love a conspiracy theory, but the omission of of Patrick Reed, and we know that he was ill, but he's you know, he seemed to bounce back and just judging by his social media, it would appear that uh, he was keen to play. Do you think it was purely based on the fact that, that he had been ill leading up to the Ryder Cup?
2: I'd say that was the predominant reason, but not the only reason. Yeah. And his reaction actually, after not being picked, to liking, and I'm not the social media expert, but to liking the, the um, tweets that criticized Stricker, yeah. by Patrick liking those, I think that was semi-toxic uh, for the team and, uh, kind of shows in retrospect, the other things he's done, uh, criticizing, uh, the captain at, uh, at, at not being paired with speed and being paired with tiger in France, that was very off putting, I think, to a lot of people, uh, obviously the accusations of, of, uh, breaking the rules and then not owning up to it, uh, that doesn't help him in the team room either. So there's intangibles there. He has got one of the greatest short games in history. He, he is a great competitor. He's great for match play because he holds putts and he gets up and down from everywhere. Um, and yet, he, he I think he's a net liability right now uh, as long as he's not playing really well and he had to be a pick. And it was said way back, you know, at like France, you know, if Patrick has to be a pick again, watch out, he might not get it. And I think Brooks is treading on that line too if they happen to lose by the things he said. They're not as, mm. they were not as strong as what Patrick uh, did, but still, it's like, if everybody's not on this all in, if you qualify, okay, we'd have to take you. But if you don't qualify, probably not going to pick you. I think that's kind of a message. So, and all, uh, and also the whole threat of COVID reappearing, uh, it just, it, it just becomes something that's so problematic. I mean, we saw John Rom have to skip the Olympics well after he got COVID at Memorial. And so, to, for someone who has had COVID, like we don't know again. And that's the other thing—the sort of disingenuous way that that Patrick presented his illness. He said he had double pneumonia okay. Then he said, I was tested, but not when I came into the hospital. Uh, I was tested on the way out. He goes, I think I was positive, but I'm not sure. It's like, well, holy cow, that's not how <laughs> that's not how COVID is defined. In, you know, and so that was kind of squirrely. So I'm giving a long answer here, but I think all those things worked against Patrick.
0: You know, I just want to change tack a little bit. It's quite interesting. I mean, obviously the, the two interesting guys on the one team, Patrick Reed, not getting chosen and the other team, uh, Justin Rose, not getting chosen but Lee Westwood's in the team uh, of of the Europeans and then a number of years ago Hunter Mahan was in the team 2010 at Wales yeah. and I don't know if you remember but he oh, he, he duffed a chip shot oh yeah he duffed that chip shot and and you know that's affected him ever since and why I'm mentioning that is Lee Westwood um you know has had problems with his short putting and there's nothing that That will bring out any issues that you have in your game, like the Ryder Cup does. And and I wonder about them putting Lee in the team. I love Lee Westwood. I'm I'm a big Lee Westwood fan. Okay, but I wonder, Lee Westwood. I know he made it on points, but wow, I think he's going to be a a liability in that
2: team. Well, I wouldn't disagree completely. Lee has has uh, astounded me with his great comeback this last year. You know, at the Players and at Bay Hill, I believe. Um, Bay Hill, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I've been the players, I, I, but it was a couple of tournaments. And, you know, and he seems to have a new attitude, much lighter. And maybe that has helped him putt. Um, Life on the bag. The short game stuff. The yep. short game stuff's always been a little bit of an issue technique-wise, too. Having said all that, he made the team on points. I think if it had come down to, you know, Poulter, Lowry, Garcia, and Rose, and, and Westwood, Westwood would have been, he would have been at the bottom of that choice, personally, I think, because of those liabilities. And, you know, he's 47, and and he was talking as if, you know, I don't, I don't get that upset about golf anymore. It's, and that's the way he has to deal with it. it it's, a, it's a healthy attitude, but is it one that you want in the Ryder Cup when it's, you know, all about emotion and all about, you know, caring to the, to the highest extent? Not that, not that he would be apathetic, but only that I think he'd be a little out of step with the way that, you know, you want your team to be prepared mentally. Um, however, he's got a great track record in the Ryder Cup in, in general, other than the recent years. And maybe he, he has found a secret for how he – he can play, uh, but I wouldn't disagree that. Uh, and, you know, Hunter Mahan, um, he had other he had swing issues, too, and I think McDowell was actually up. He took a bit of a hit for that. It, it looked terrible when you duff a chip, but he wasn't. He was down in that match, and it was almost closed out as it was, uh, but it it really did, you know. And, you know, R- Victor Hovland has some chipping issues, and not not to, you know, cast any kind of uh, bad wishes his way, But but those things do come out under pressure, as we know. And the chip yips are something that we've all become more aware of, I guess, as the grass, the fairway grass, especially has gotten shorter and shorter. And we saw what Thomas Bjorn did at St. George's. Those those wounds are, are very deep. I get it. But I, I think Lee is the longevity alone and the way he still hits the ball and, and just the way he gets it around, even though it's not pretty on the greens, he still gets it around pretty well. He earned his spot and, and I think podrig's going to take him. Maybe he will sit him out uh, a little more than he would otherwise, but – I think he could be a, still an asset in the team room because of his wisdom.
0: Jaime, mean, a bit more from you on uh, on Whistling straights. We know it's a a long bombers course, plenty of bunkers, and and a bit of a linksy feel. What are your thoughts on that? And obviously, it's tailored, I would imagine, to to suit the Americans.
2: Well, it will be, you know, uh, as as uh, you know, uh, Le golf national was tightened and with the rough brought up uh, because the the Europeans in general are more accurate drivers and probably better better tee to green as far as percentage of greens hit and just steadier type players. And, and of course the Americans play the bomb and gouge game pretty, pretty regularly, uh, which produces a lot of birdies. And if you get a short club in your hand, not that many bogeys. Uh, I think that's what they're going to try to do at whistling Straits. Whistling does have a lot of pretty onerous hazards, but they're far off the fairway. There's a lot of unplayable out there, but you got to really hit it crooked in general. It's playable from the rough. I will say it, it can get very windy there. Yep. And Europeans tend to be better win players. So it's not all in favor of the U.S. It's not really links in the sense that you'll see a lot of bouncing up of the ball. As you guys know, the grass in the United States is different from links grass. Hmm. Even if it's cut short, you know, playing it along the ground is more problematic. It doesn't get the true bounce that it gets on a links. But the length of these American players is going to produce a lot of easy birdies on par fives and a lot of wedges into approach shots to par fours. That doesn't mean that the Europeans don't, you know, they'll be maybe on average, they'll be outdriven by six yards per group, you know, something like that. That takes its toll over time, but in a short match, it doesn't matter that much. We know that putter is the most important thing. I will say, I don't see a lot of great putters on the European team. And I think that's why Poulter's pick was so vital. Not that one player can, you know, putt for everybody, but in in a crucial moment, as it was at Medina, he can lift the whole team. I wonder about this, and this is a whole other conversation, but, just seems like a lot of the players are not the great putter. Even the best players in the world are not the greatest putters that they used to be. I mean, tiger was an incredible putter and incredible through the game and ROM's a good putter, but DJ is a a good to average to good putter. Bryson has made himself a pretty good putter. Brooks is an average, to good putter. Justin Thomas, not that great until recently Pat. And statistically Patrick Cantley has not been a great putter. He he's become one last month. Tony Finau, not a great putter Xander, not his best club. Jordan Speeth, He's the great putter. Yeah. Um, Anyway, it just strikes me as funny. Is like the putter is taking a little bit of a emphasis among the modern game. You know, I think the, the steadier way to win tournaments is to just really hit a lot of greens and birdie a lot of par fives. But you still want to see in the Ryder Cup great putting. But Europe doesn't really have it either. So interesting. I, I don't think the greens at, at whistling, they'll be faster than I think the typical European Ryder Cup setup. But they won't be crazy like uh, they won't be Augusta fast, anything like that.
1: When I looked at the course, the first thing I thought of was it just had, for some reason for me, it just sort of had an element of Kiowa Island about it. And I know it's a Pete Dye design, but I looked at it and I immediately thought, gee whiz,
2: that reminds me
1: very much of Kiowa Island.
2: It, I, I agree with you. Pete has some real patterns and Kiowa had a lot of really big par fours that were really hard with yeah. a lot of sand and, and, uh, and just very kind of, uh, you know, it was a, an artificial natural look that looks kind of wild. Yeah. And, and Whistling has a lot of that. So, you're not wrong. However, I, I think Kia was a little tougher in general, unless the wind, well, it's all wind. Wind at Kia was brutal. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't windy at the PGA. And whistling in benign conditions is not tough, but in the wind, it's very tough. But yes, I, I think the Pete Dye, and I don't know how Europeans feel about Pete Dye. I think it's probably down to the man. He tends, I think, to really test ball striking. And if you're a precise ball striker, let's say like Molinari was back in 2018 when he was going so well. I think he would have liked Keo Island. You got to be precise, and uh, you don't have to be quite as precise at whistling, but it's still, uh, especially when it gets windy, uh, you really got to be able to flight your golf ball and control the, where it lands and the and the spin and all all the things that great iron players do.
0: The Nicholas Jacklin Award that they're going to be presenting for the first time. What's your
2: feeling about that? Okay. Well, I hope uh, I. I not, I guess it's about the concession, but I didn't know there was an award. Tell me about it. They evidently are going to give an award at the end of the Ryder Cup on the
0: player who who shows yeah. you know excellent sportsmanship.
2: Oh, I and okay. uh, yeah, yeah, and I you know I think it's I think it's uh, it's a really nice idea. I think it is a nice idea, and I think we've seen some wonderful sportsmanship. You know, whether it was, uh, gosh, Payne Stewart at uh, conceding to uh, Colin Montgomery at uh, at Brookline, there's just so many moments of. Where, where the two guys have so much mutual respect and whenever it's shown, it's very gratifying to see. And, and the great gestures are always remembered. Obviously the, the, the reason the awards are named after Jack and Tony is because of the concession, which was very gracious. So I'm glad to see it. And I think, I think anything that brings, you know, this sense of uh, uh, brotherhood back to the Ryder cup, which is the original reason that the matches were played uh, is good. And I, you know, people like the fire and the contentiousness sometimes because it does raise the intensity and seemingly the importance of the event. But in my mind, it 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 always leaves a bad feeling. Uh, I I thought it was awful and it wasn't intentional. I don't think what happened to a lot of the Ball at Brookline on the 17th green there, uh, when everybody ran on the green, didn't give him a chance to putt. Um, I, I haven't liked when you know when when it when Zinger and, and Ballesteros had their confrontation. There was some bad feeling afterwards. I didn't like it. I like it when everybody gives everything they have and maybe there's some some friction during the match but afterwards everything is settled in in a uh, spirit of mutual respect and actual uh, i think just love of the game
1: jamie can we chat a little bit about the the qualification process and it was just interesting for me to to watch how well the us and and the europeans approached qualification and we saw you know only very recently the european team finalized i mean there was sp- mathematical permutations. I didn't have a clue what was going on there last week it went with and who could possibly be in, who was out. And, I mean, Strick has obviously got his pick of six rookies. The wild cards in the U.S. side versus the wild cards for the Europeans. It just felt very complicated.
2: Well, I think it has to be complicated on the European side because so much golf is played in the U.S. by the best European players. So they go with that split ranking, the European ranking and the, and the, uh, the race to Dubai points. And that's mostly for European, all for European tournaments, European tour events. Uh, so it gets confusing. And then, you know, when somebody falls off one and is higher on the other, they go to that list, and that's how Whisperer got in. Uh, he probably would not have been picked, my um, guess, uh, over Rose, for example. But, yeah, it was confusing. Uh, but I think it, it, made, it made sense, and, and Podrick only had three picks. I think he would have done, you know, he, pro- he won't say it probably, but uh, I think he would have loved to have had a couple more or four at least. And as far as because of COVID, you know, the six picks made sense. I think this year, Honest, honestly, I've always wondered it would put so much pressure on a captain. Then the captain would really matter. But I've often thought, what about just giving someone the captaincy and say, okay, pick your 12 players.
1: Um, <laughs> your thumbs up from Dale. It Bale. would create a
2: lot of, a lot of bad feelings, but it would really be his team. And you would really understand why somebody was picked because then it would come down to way more than just your, know, your record. It would have to be all these intangibles and style of play and maybe temperament and all these things. But Anyway, uh, you know, I, I think the U.S. had a little bit of an advantage in having more picks this year, uh, and I, you know, honestly, this is a huge discrepancy. It's not the biggest one, but the average rank, world ranking on the American team is ninth, and yep. uh, and the average world ranking on the European team is thirtieth. Yeah, uh, there have been wider discrepancies, and the amazing thing was, and I've got to remember the years, but I think it was 2002 and 2004, uh, the Europeans. That was the largest discrepancy in the world ranking behind the Americans, and they won by some of the largest margins. They won by a big, I think it was eight, 18 and a half to 9.5 in 2004. So there's no telling. And that's why this year still we, we go, well, you know, on paper it looks like it's over. Home team, big discrepancy in the world ranking. And yet we just saw in the Solheim Cup the Europeans come over and beat America on their home soil with a team that was not as highly ranked. It happens all the time. I want a prediction from you, Jaime. <laughs> a prediction. <laughs> I, could, I could hear who you think is going to uh, win. Yeah, I What's think the so. score going to be? <laughs>
0: what is this call going to I be? Think,
2: honestly, I, I think the Americans will win. And I usually, you know, honestly, I, I, I actually have preferred it in the past, especially when Europe has won, because I just think it's made the Ryder Cup bigger. And I like a lot of the European players. And uh, sometimes I thought it was almost good for the Americans to get a little bit of a comeuppance. Having said all that, I, I, I go back to Hazeltine, and that crowd was huge, hugely American. I think the crowd's a big factor. I think it's very hard to win on somebody else's turf. Uh, it's hard for the Americans to go to the Belfry. And I think the Americans have the best team. They do have some chemistry potential problems. I don't think it's—I don't think Stricker's going to allow it to be the issue. And I think the assistant captains also, whether it's Couples or Love or Phil Mickelson, those guys have a way, I think, with the players to calm everything down. So long answer, I think the Americans will win by a couple or three points, which is a lot. Usually it's come down to the wire. I just don't think Europe just has enough horsepower this year. They can do a lot with chemistry. Medina was a miracle. I don't know how often you can count on someone like Poulter to do something like that again. So I'm going to go with, I guess, the probability, so to speak, on paper and, and take the Americans by a, by a couple of points. So what's the score? How does that add up? Uh, 20, you know, Maybe uh, 16, 16 to 12, something like that. Yeah.
1: Are you going or are you watching it on the TV this year?
2: No, I'm going, yeah. I'm gonna, I'll go there on Sunday morning and looking forward. Uh, as always, it's a tremendous atmosphere. The most the most, as I said, pressure and the most, I guess, excitement I've ever felt at an event was ninety one at Kiowa. Yeah. Uh, just coming down the stretch. That was incredible. Langer and, and Irwin in the last hole. But even before that, what happened to Calcavecchia? And I talked to Raymond Floyd a lot that week and afterwards and uh, he was the old head on that team and he was just wonderful at talking about, you know, how much how much pressure golf can put on a player. And that was he said that was almost too much. That's the most he'd ever felt himself.
1: I hope there's uh, enough space and- in this town for everyone to stay. Cause I see the population. There's only 839. So hopefully there's enough accommodation around there for the thousands of people that are going to descend upon this place.
2: <laughs> no, it's just like one of the link. It's just like uh, going to Turnberry. You people just go to air and other places and everybody will be in Milwaukee, which is, I think it's about a 35 or 40 mile drive, but, uh, that's, that's become more common in, in, in uh, big time golf. Now you just can't get close, try to go to the best courses. And sometimes you have to go to, a the nearest city to accommodate everybody
1: yeah but not when you're Jaime Diaz then you stay right there I mean come on no no
2: I'm just with yeah <laughs> the cocktail is taking care of everybody but everybody's going to be in buses coming in so there's no nobody's going to have an upstairs room at the clubhouse
1: <laughs> <laughs> well enjoy it enjoy it Jaime and thank you so much yeah. for, for speaking to us on the podcast and I think we we tend to align ourselves more with Europe but it's hard to hard to fault your logic and I think the Europeans they're probably going to have their work cut out for them this year but we'll see
2: No, I I hope it's close, and it would not displease me at all to see Europe win. So I enjoy talking to you guys, and uh, thanks for the patience with my long answers. But I appreciate it. (laughs) There it is. A win for the ages. The long and short of it. Simon Hill, Dylan Rogers, and Dale Hayes. Thanks for listening. We'd ask our friends, except we don't have any. So please like and rate this podcast. Until next time.